Hey, Wizards fans, welcome to the latest episode of the Off the Bench podcast presented by the Alibaba Group. I'm Chris Miller of NBC Sports Washington and Monumental Sports and Entertainment. First of all, on behalf of my family to yours, I want to wish you all a happy holidays and happy new year as we go into 2023. And what a way to cap off 2022 for the Washington Wizards, winners of four straight and playing some of their best basketball of the year. So we decided on this episode, we're going to do the best of the first part of this 2022-2023 season with some of our best interviews. And there are a couple of snippets that we'll have and hope you enjoy as we uh, get you set for 2023 and the start of that portion of the year as the Wizards head up to Milwaukee for two games against the Bucks. All right, let's start our best of with an interview with Kristaps Porzingis earlier in the season as he talked about heading into this year and more importantly, the beard that he grew. Wizards fans, Capital One Arena partnered with Clear to help Wizards fans get into the games faster for free. Beat the crowds on game day and enter through designated Clear Lane at the 7th and G Street entrance across from Clyde's. Download the free Clear app and get started today. Finally. Uh-huh. Who am I to judge, but I love it. <laughs> when did it when did it start? How long are you gonna keep it? Yeah. And will you ever just go all season? You know how like hockey players just go yeah, hockey playoff yeah. beard. Will we ever get a yeah. Porzingis playoff beard? I don't think I would do that, but um, it started in August. For some reason, my girlfriend kind of convinced me, hey, can't let it grow for a little bit. One week go by, two weeks. Third week, I'm like, oh, this is getting nowhere. It's looking terrible. Uh-huh. And my girlfriend's like, just, just keep it for one more week. And my barber was also like, one more week, just give it one more week. And then the following week, he cleaned it up a little bit, this, that, I'm like, Okay, this is starting to look like something. So I said, okay, we can maybe we can leave it. And now I kind of look, go back and look at the old pictures and stuff. And um, and I'm like, yeah, I have, now I have to keep it. I know no way I'm going back to that baby face. I remember when I saw you, I was like, you still look young, but it's kind of like it, it's cool. It looks, you looks know, a bit, yeah. you, look, you look a little tougher. <laughs> yes, um, you know, a bearded unicorn. I've never heard of that before. <laughs> Our next interview was when we were out in Japan as part of the Japan Games when the Wizards took on the Golden State Warriors. And as we were celebrating 25 years of Wizards basketball, we had a chance to sit down with Rip Hamilton. Rip talked with Drew Gooden and I about a legendary photo of him and Michael Jordan. um, There are a couple of Wizards moments and photos for me that are iconic. And one of them is, ironically, in Cleveland. We were playing with MJ. Oh, okay. And MJ hits the game-winning shot. Because I was in the arena when it happened. And you and him together <laughs> with that fist pump. That was, that's probably one of my favorite Wizards photos. It's just because yeah. it was kind of like the young fella and then the goat. Yeah. And you both did it at the same time. Walk me through that moment. And, and, and what do you remember when you see that photo? Oh, man. I mean, you know, when Michael first came to play with the Wizards, it was magical for everybody, not just for the fans in the city, but for a young dude like me coming up and knowing that Michael Jordan was my idol growing up uh, was was magical. And I remember all the press that we used to get, right? And it, I always say it was like hanging out with the Beatles during that time, but it was but it was MJ. And uh, I remember going back home after the first couple of games and you turn on ESPN or turn on whatever, and all the highlights will be 
Michael Jordan. Nobody else. <laughs> Nobody else. <laughs> well, not even on the other team. Yeah, <laughs> just him. Win, lose, or draw. Yeah. It was it was MJ. So even when we come to the game, the cameras was all on MJ and everybody else was over there. So I was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna figure this one out. I'm gonna figure this one out right here. Okay, right. So I remember uh when he when he took two dribbles, got to a spot, knocked down a shot. And then he was walking off because anytime M hit a big shot, he would always put the fist out. If yeah, you look at yeah. the history of his game, especially when he was in Chicago, he did it in practice. Anytime he made it, it was about the fist. So boy, oh boy, when I seen him make that shot and I seen him walking to the middle of the floor, I said, you know what, Rip? I'm getting right beside his ass. <laughs> they, listen, they ain't gonna skip over me tonight. So I put my fist right next to it. And my mind was like, all right, you know what? Somebody's gonna get this shot. And when they get this shot, they gonna say, what happened? And they ain't gonna know who made the shot. Bro. So now my kids, I got that, That's... that, that uh, a big old poster, you know, in my uh, theater room and my kids walk through and they say, dad, you and MJ got the same pose, what happened? I said, dad hit one of his biggest shots. <laughs> well, when yeah. I saw the shot, I thought you hit it. Yeah. <laughs> when I saw it. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna yeah. tell you the funny story about it. So again, as I told you, I was in the the vomitory because they called the timeout. Yeah. And I remember a buddy of mine who's from Cleveland was sitting there and he had had his heart broken by MJ yeah. the shot one, the shot two. And I remember during the timeout, I looked over at him and I said, David, it's about to be the shot three. He said, No, 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 don't say that. Because <laughs> as you know, playing in Cleveland, people kind of have a feeling about bad this bad things happening to their team. All the time. Yeah. They come out of the huddle, and you could, you just saw it. Now, the one thing that I didn't know, Rippin, you got to explain this to okay. me. Why in the hell did Cleveland double-team Chris Whitney? Hey, man, listen, I think they were a little nervous. <laughs> I think they just forgot what was going on. I, 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 forgot, I think they forgot number 23 was out there, right. most importantly. But uh, I don't know why. I don't even remember that they even doubled him. I just know that how the hell did y'all allow MJ to get the ball? Yeah. You know what I'm our next interview was with another Wizards alum, the Hammer, the Polish machine, Marcin Gortat, remembering his time in the Wizards uniform. What's it like when you put a Wizards basketball jersey on? Well, you, obviously you're feeling like you're representing a, a family. That's one. Two, you're representing a team that you're battling every night in a game to create a result for this team, for this organization. The owner reward you with a nice fat contract. He secured my living for me, my family, and probably for another three generations of my family. And you feel obligated and you feel responsible for making this organization better. When I was traded from here, obviously the feelings were kind of weird, mad, sad, mixed feeling obviously, but then two years later, three years later, you go into your locker at home, you're about to do a lift or you're about to go play basketball and you're pulling all the t-shirts you have from your, you know, from entire career you have. You have Magic, you have Wizards, you have Phoenix, you have Clippers. Like, which one are you gonna wear? Mm -hmm. I mean, I love Orlando too, because I live there on a daily basis, but the Wizards is my family. So, 
I, 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 I pulled the wizard jersey t-shirt. <laughs> I said, I'm putting this one on and, and let me practice, you know. Obviously, with time, I had to make a phone call to equipment manager and say, listen, I need, I need new stuff. I need a new stuff. And playing for the Washington uh, made me part of this family, part of history in this team and, uh, and this organization. And uh, you got to do whatever it takes to, to make this organization better. On a personal note, our next interview is someone that has helped me immensely in this time of being with the Wizards organization as a broadcaster, sideline reporter, and host. It's the legendary Phil Chenier. I wanted to take this opportunity on the Off the Bench podcast to thank Phil for his mentorship. Well, you and Buck were great for me. And again, as we kind of conclude this podcast, I, I, I would not be sitting in a seat that I am now if it wasn't for you and Buck. Well, um, when I came here 16 years ago and we started working together, um, you both embraced me, mm -hmm. open arms, and I'll never forget that. And I'm someone that loves to pay homage and, and respect to the people that came before me and the ones that helped me. So I want to take this opportunity to thank you and to thank Steve Buckhans for teaching the pup mm. the ropes. Well, uh, believe me, when you came onto the scene, you were uh, just a, I don't want to say a breath of fresh air, but I mean, your enthusiasm, your love for the game and what you were doing, it, it really branched off to us, and it, it, it had a big impact. And the next thing I knew, you were one of the most uh, engaging people with the players. And I think they felt very comfortable around you and, and in talking with you and giving you insight and knowing that, you know, you weren't going to do anything to hurt them. You are going to share the news and be honest with them. And that's important, you know. So, you know, I am happy for you. I wish you all the best of luck. Not that you need luck, but it's only proper that you always say good luck, you right, know. Right. But uh, I'll be watching, and I know you guys are going to be doing a great I, job. I do know I'm going to be getting text messages at night. Absolutely. So, you know, the, the bus, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out when Phil hits me. Does he hit me right after the game or on the bus ride? Or on the flight coming back home. Well, I'm going to ask I, you what's going on on the bus anyway. <laughs> you know? But here's what I do know. And about. I saw you messing with Drew when he was sleeping. That ain't right. That's but, not right. Well, you know, I, I would have never done that to you. Buck. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, Buck was right. always awake. So, you know, Buck, you know, Buck was a night owl. Buck would be working until 4 That's or 5 true. in the morning. Uh, I do also know because of Buck and Phil, I do know where all the best restaurants are on the road. So, again, I was learning. That's all best. Buck, believe me. <laughs> Before the home opener, with the Chicago Bulls, I had a chance to sit down with the chairman of Monumental Sports and Entertainment, Ted Leonsis, who spoke about how the game of basketball has become global. And we have international players, and you've often told me over the years that you really feel like D.C. is like an international city. I mean, from where everyone comes, when you talk about the embassies, do you feel like the game of basketball is global now? Oh, without a doubt, it's, it's global. It's the second most participatory sport on the planet, soccer and basketball, and uh, I think over a billion people either say that they play basketball or they watch basketball, and uh, that's why the NBA is, um, the quality of play is so incredibly high. You basically have 15 players per team, 30 teams, with a billion people thinking that they can play the game, and so, so um, it's an international game. Back here at home, I had an 
opportunity to sit down with Will Barton, who in his first year with Washington is back home in the region, grew up in East Baltimore, and takes great pride in leading a grassroots program of boys and girls playing the great game of basketball. I do want to talk about your AAU program because I think this is something that I think a lot of our listeners will appreciate is you giving back to your community from a grassroots perspective. Talk about Team Thrill, when you got it started, and kind of what's the mission statement for you? It's always been a dream of mine to uh, make it to the NBA. Even when I was young, that was the plan to make it and then be able to start my own youth basketball program so I could give back. And the whole mission of me is just to get those young kids a platform, you know, to show their game off. And, um, you know, to get, you know, college scholarships, to be able to go to school for free and not just, you know, think about making it to the NBA, but making it in life. You know, just let them travel to, you know, USA and hopefully the world and be able to see life different because Baltimore is so small. I remember before I started traveling for basketball, I didn't know nothing else but my block. And you start seeing, you know, different places, how big the world is, your attitude, your mind start changing. You, you start wanting more for yourself. So I wanted that for the kids. You were telling me you start. This is really a grassroots program where yeah. you get them young to when they're 17 and yeah. then they go off to college. Yeah. How young do you start? Man, we get them like six years old. It's like a farm system. We get we try to get them real young and uh, just grow them throughout the program. So yeah, about six years old. One of the real good guys on the team is Anthony Gill, someone who is in the community helping out others and I had a chance to talk to Anthony about our trip to Japan in the preseason and how much it meant to him. Maybe it was on our trip to Japan. Was there something about him culturally that you took away from the conversations with him? Uh, first off, Japan was amazing. Like that, that trip altogether was eye-opening for me. You know, I, I never, I always wanted to go to Japan, but I never knew what to expect. And like it blew any expectations that I could ever imagine for myself um, going there. But just to go back to your original question for Rui, to see him in his own environment was uh, was amazing. To watch him interact with the fans, to watch him interact with you know a little kid that comes up to him and you know and talks to him in Japanese, that was the coolest thing for me. Because you know here in America, you know, a little kid comes up to Rui, you know Rui, he does you know the normal like Americanized version of everything. But to watch him actually interact with people and to see him you know interact with his culture and to see you know he took us out to a restaurant. And you know there was some food on the plate that I've never seen before, and I'm highly allergic to a lot of different things. If I say allergic, if I say I'm allergic to something, that means I just don't like it. But <laughs> that's cold. <laughs> but, so I was highly allergic to a lot of stuff on this plate. But to just you know hear him tell us all about this and like what it meant to the culture and everything like that, that was probably the coolest thing to see. You know, Rui coming out of his shell, and for us to really get to see the culture with Rui. As we continue to celebrate 25 years of Wizards basketball, I had an unbelievable opportunity at Capital One Arena to sit down with the big three of Gilbert Arenas, Karan Butler, and Antoine Jameson to reflect on some of their good times at Capital One Arena. You've been here all the time. You're here always. This might be the first time you've been back since you were with Orlando. Yeah. What was it like walking into this arena today? 
Man, the goosebumps, right? It, it's like, you know, like I walked in with a limp. <laughs> Came to the court, was like, oh, man, it's okay. This feels this feels like it. You know, um, you know, got the court. I'm sitting here like, well, I remember there was a dead spot over there, you know, the three. You know, it, it just brings it, all the memories, you know, all the memories you forget or you try to lose, they all come back. Right, you know the the the, uh, the twins sat there. You know, you just, it just all comes back, and it's just like, man, you know, it's you don't get that sense from the TV. Even though my TV's pretty big, you don't you don't get the feel of it until you're really in this building. Maybe one of the best revelations so far in the early part of the season was the development and growth of Jordan Goodwin, a guy who was playing in the G League and then found himself on an NBA roster. And not only on the roster, but making a huge impact. We were once in Charlotte during the early part of this season, and we sat down and we talked about fatherhood as an NBA player. Being in the NBA and, like you said, kind of being like this role model for him now, what is fatherhood and being an NBA player? How do you balance the two? Uh, I mean, it's both a job. Uh, both of them hard. Uh, but you just got to enjoy both of them. Uh, just our game winners getting beat on defense, making shots, coming home, seeing them smile, getting threw up on. Just got to enjoy it, embrace it. Just got to embrace it, man. Just I, I just, I love it. I love him. One of the coolest things that you said that, that I think a lot of dads can relate to is when you get a baby and they're home with you and you have a chance to just kind of put them on your chest. And it's, it's kind of like that bonding moment between the baby and, and the dad. Is that like one of the coolest moments yeah, for you right now? for sure. Uh, like, I told my mom this too, like, this is the first time I actually know what the word like love is, having him, uh, like un- unconditional love. Like I understand what that means now when uh, when he was born. So, the responsibility of being a father, though, like h- how much are you learning that kind of on a daily basis? I mean, I understand that he can't do anything right now without me. So I just got to be you know, the best role model I can be, and uh, just understand that once he do get older, there's gonna be things that he's gonna have to learn the same way I was and. Luckily, I had a great dad and a great mom, so I'm just going to do the same thing they did to me. The oldest member of the Washington Wizards team is 37-year-old longtime veteran Taj Gibson. Taj started his basketball career in New York City area and then moved out to L.A. to play college ball at USC. I asked him about the huge transition of being an East Coast guy playing hoops on the West Side. You mm-hmm. couldn't have more polar opposite places yeah. than the concrete jungle, and then you've got you know California that's mm-hmm. all about palm trees and sun. Yeah, uh, it was it was crazy because it was a I, it was a complete culture shock for me because coming from New York all the way to California and just changing the whole dynamic of my recruiting because it was kind of two different playing styles, more of a getting out, getting open, athletic. New York was a guard oriented, uh, uh, press all game. It was mostly ran by the guard, but when I got out there, it was it just worked out for me. I got another growth spurt, but SC just stood out for me because I remember Tim Floyd coming to my home. He didn't come with a bunch of recruits. He didn't come with uh, his staff or anything. He came by himself. He came in in the middle of the projects in Brooklyn, and he waited calmly, walked through the neighborhood, and then when his time came, he presented himself well, spoke really highly of himself, and he said, my job is to get you to the next level. Um, if you if you come, give me a chance. I'm 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 going to USC. He said I'm at USC now. I'm trying to change the the culture, the the, the dynamic of the game of basketball there. So 
if you if you open, I, I would love to have you. And I looked at him and I said, yeah, let's do it. And our last interview took place in Utah, a chance where I sat down with DeLon Wright just before he returned after missing 29 games dealing with that hamstring injury. Being back in Utah was also an opportunity for him and Kyle Kuzman to go back to their alma mater. But I asked DeLon about what inspires Kyle Kuzma's fashion. Did you tell me before that he actually stole your fashion in college? I didn't say he stole it. I said... Borrowed it? I said I, like, kickstarted his fashion. You're responsible for this. I kickstarted it. He took it to the next level that I can't, that I wouldn't be able to take it to. Is there anything he's worn last year or this year where you go, you've gone too far? Um, gone too far... Then he wore some like open toe sandals to the game this year. Like, me personally, I can't do that. But he's at a point in the fashion world where he can, you know, pretty much wear anything. 